Tonight, I'd like for you to, to think about um, the hopes and dreams you had when you were younger. Um, think back to when you were single, if you were, if you were married. Um, for many people, one of the biggest hopes, one of the, the most potent dreams is to find that special person that you're going to spend the rest of your life with them. Now, we know that some people, they never realize that dream, and all too often that's a point of loneliness and pain in their lives. But, but think of that dreaming process, and I think that at some point, just about everybody does this when, when they're young. The, the romantic ideas and those feelings Think about the way those feelings, they swirl around like a song in your heart. In fact, sometimes those feelings are attached to, uh, to songs, aren't they? Yeah, I hear the song, True Companion, by Mark Cohn. And I'm going to be singing, and I'm going to be thinking about my bride. And it's going to stir up memories and emotions. You know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about? Okay. Well, in our reading tonight, we've got Mary. And Mary has actually found her man. He was a carpenter. Our text uh, doesn't tell us this. We draw that from other places. But he was a tradesman. His name was Joseph. And, and at this time, marriages are still being arranged. But it's not just a complete arrangement where it's like, you know, hey, here's your husband. It's more like they're being negotiated. You know, this works with this family. You know, this son is interested in this daughter type of a situation. And, and they, they, they talk it through. And, and the bride and the groom actually have a lot to say about, you know, the process and who, they go, who they're going to marry. So Mary probably felt pretty good about her future. A man that she loved, who loved her, who also had the, the wherewithal to start and support a family with her. If there was a song in Mary's mind and in her heart um, as she's looking forward to marrying Joseph, it could very well have been the Song of Songs, otherwise known as the Song of Solomon, one of the books of the Bible the poetic book in the Old Testament that, that beautifully describes the, the joy of a passionate love between husband and wife. The whole idea that my beloved is mine and I am my beloved's you know, resonates through that book. And, and, and that poem magnifies a mutual desire and a, a sense of belonging together that's very beautiful. In many ways, uh, the Song of Songs is a picture of God and his people, the way that he is ours and, and, and we are his. But if Mary was thinking about it, that's not why she was thinking about it. She's probably thinking about Joseph. And having been young and engaged at one point, I'd be willing to bet that Joseph was thinking about Mary. But then in the sixth month, the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, uh, the angel Gabriel, the same angel Gabriel that we met last week in the temple with Zechariah, um, 
the angel Gabriel was sent by God to Mary to deliver a message. Now, there are some really important things to notice here in the conversation. And the first thing that I really want you to notice is Gabriel's greeting. Angels almost always begin with, do not be afraid, or fear not, or, or some version of that. But with Mary, it's different. Gabriel begins with a beautiful word. It, it, it's a beautiful word that it's weakly translated in our reading. It's weakly translated, greetings. Uh, if you grew up reading the King James or the RSV, you, you might remember this as, Hail! That's a little bit better. But the word literally means rejoice. Ooh. Now there's a first word to say to somebody. Rejoice. Because Gabriel knows what's going on. He knows why he's been sent. He knows that this message that he's going to be delivering to Mary is all about God's salvation. It's about the incarnation, God taking on human flesh and becoming one of us. It's a truly miraculous and amazing event that is about to take place. And he gets to tell Mary. He's the one who gets to inform her. And oh, joy of joys, favored one, the Lord is with you. And now he gets to the whole, do not be afraid, because Mary's like, wait a second, what is this all about? Do not be afraid. But this is such a holy moment. The weight of glory fills this whole interaction. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. And then he describes the greatness of this child, the way he's going to grow up. And basically what he's saying is he is the Messiah. He's the one that God promised to David when he told David that there would be a child that comes along who will reign forever, who will sit on his throne forever. This is the one that Jacob, before he died, prophesied would come from Judah and who would reign and who would be king forever. Wow. That's got to be a lot to process. And then Mary asks a question. And I've been asked twice this week about this question. So perhaps, perhaps we should take a little bit more closely at, at what happens here. She looks at Gabriel and she says, How will this be since I am a virgin? Now, go back to last week when we read about Zechariah. You remember what happened when... Zechariah asked Gabriel, you know, his question. You're going to be silent until the baby's born. It's kind of one of those, uh, here's your sign type of things. But here Mary asks, and she not only gets an explanation, you know, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, this child will be called Holy, the Son of God. But she also gets a sign thrown in on top of that. Your relative, Elizabeth, is six months pregnant with her son, and everyone said she was barren, but nothing will be impossible with God. So, Zechariah is silent, and Mary gets answers. 
How is this fair? Well, first of all, who said God's fair? Seriously, which Bible verse says that God is fair by any standard of humanity? It says that God is just. It says that God does what is right. But that's not always the same thing as fair. Not the way that that we tend to count that. Second, notice what Zechariah said. He says to Gabriel, how will I know this? In other words, you got to satisfy my intellectual curiosity before I'm going to believe it. Mary asks, how will this be? Do you see the subtle difference? This is going to happen, but I don't get it. Fair enough. You know, Zechariah comes from a place of doubt. He says, we're old. He wants proof before he'll believe Gabriel's words. As though having an angel of the Lord appear and stand in front of you in the holy place isn't proof enough. Mary doesn't doubt that this can be. She believes Gabriel. We see that in, very clearly in her response at the end of, of this conversation where she says, Behold, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according to your word. She's completely put herself into God's hands at this point. She trusts, but she doesn't understand how this is going to happen because she's a virgin. You know, she understands where babies come from. And then finally, what did Zechariah do for a living? Do you remember? He was a priest, yes. Should a priest know more than a girl who's probably a teenager? Theoretically, priests should know. They should believe, even more importantly, they should believe the word of the Lord. So Mary doesn't understand, but she believes. So her question comes from from that different place, and therefore God treats it differently. And he answers and gives her the sign on top of that. So another one of those kind of helpful tips, if you're ever visited by an angel of the Lord, one, what we learned last week, don't ask for a sign. Two, if he offers a sign, receive it. Go check it out. And that's what Mary did. She went and she visited Elizabeth in the beginning of of Elizabeth's third trimester. And it struck me when I was preparing for this. Did you notice how long she stayed with with her? Three months. That means she was there pretty much all the way up to when John was born, wasn't she? Yeah, she may have even been there, but it it, it doesn't say anything about that. Um, So she goes and, and she visits Elizabeth. And as soon as Elizabeth heard Mary's voice, John in utero, jumps for joy. Moms, you remember what that feels like, right? It gets your attention. Um, And she's filled with the Holy Spirit, and she confesses with awe that Mary is the mother of her Lord. The holy embryo 
in Mary, not even showing yet, is God in human flesh. What a moment. And all of a sudden, Mary responds in song. My soul magnifies the Lord, she says. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. This song is called the Magnificat, and it's been set to all kinds of, of, of different music. In fact, Sharon, you wrote a, a setting of it, right? Yeah. Um, it's a song of God's grace, his salvation, his protection, his justice, his compassion, his faithfulness and kindness. Mary responds to the privilege of bearing God's son into the world through birth. Her response is a song, a song of joy and salvation. But we too have been given the privilege of bearing God's son, haven't we? Even though it's in a different way. Because his spirit is upon us and in us. And we too have experienced God's grace, salvation, protection, justice, mercy, compassion, faithfulness, and kindness. Haven't we? We bring Jesus to the world when and where God gives us the opportunity. Think about that for a moment. How do you feel about that? Does having Jesus in your life give you cause to rejoice, to sing? Does God's salvation give you cause to magnify the Lord, to, to make him big in your mind and, and in your life? Our lives are full of hopes and dreams and pains and sorrows. These things can, can play out like songs in our hearts. Indeed, some songs from our youth, they get attached to memories and events, both good and bad. But there's another song in your heart. It's the song of God's salvation through Jesus. Sing that song. Share that story. Bring Jesus into the world by telling others about him. The Holy Spirit might rest on that person and a new life, a life of faith, might leap forth in joy within them. Amen.